P&L is brought to you by Proper Cloth, a leader in men's custom shirts. With proprietary smart size technology and top-rated customer service, ordering a custom shirt has never been easier. Visit propercloth.com to order your first custom shirt today. Welcome to the Bloomberg PL Podcast. I'm Pim Fox, along with my co-host, Lisa Abramowitz. Each day, we bring you the most important, noteworthy, and useful interviews for you and your money, whether you're at the grocery store or the trading floor. Find the Bloomberg PL Podcast on iTunes, SoundCloud, and at Bloomberg.com. Target is in the spotlight today, or should I say, on the hot seat. Its shares plunging the most in more than eight years, down more than 12% after announcing plans to cut prices to get customers back in the door. I want to bring in Bert Fleckinger, uh, Managing Director at Strategic Resource Group, for more insight on what's behind uh, the plummeting shares and the potentially uh, negative outlook. Bert, did this come as a surprise to you? Uh, no surprise, Lisa, as, as we talked in earlier Bloomberg broadcast, uh, anyone has seen in the stores just um, problems in Syriatum, for example, for Christmas, Hanukkah, Kwanzaa through Valentine's Day, fine and fashion jewelry departments, most important department in the store, unstaffed, you have to ring a bell uh, for service, waiting for Godot, nobody comes uh, to serve the shoppers, people walk out, go to Kohl's, Walmart, Walmart, Sears, Kmart, and uh, the uh, company's off course, and uh, the new definition of, of being rudderless for target retail, which is very uncharacteristic for the company. Well, Bert, uh, you've got a company that's got a market cap of $32 billion. They've got uh, about $2.5 billion in cash, 341,000 employees. Uh, what can Brian Cornell do in order to turn this around? Is it worth, uh, is it worth what it's being uh, priced at right now, which is $58 a share? Tim, it's a good price right now. The Bloomberg Terminal is reporting a five-year low. Uh, for Target, uh, flat over five years compared to the S&P being up over 72% same time. To your present point on uh, Target needs to uh, take cash off its balance sheet, invest in CapEx. They're a distinct disadvantage. Uh, Kroger, Walmart, uh, Kohl's, uh, H&M, everybody they compete with because Target's outsourced uh, just about everything. Outsourced distribution, cost of goods are too high to leases present point on prices, uh, targets facing a price war, a pervasive price war of unprecedented proportions uh, for, for the next few to five years, uh, Walmart, uh, uh, Lidl, et cetera, because their, their cost of goods are lower. Targets keep getting higher from outsourcing. Target uh, needs well, but to hang on, Bert. But I mean, I was looking at Brian Cornell's biography. He's the chief executive of uh, of Target and the chairman. I mean, he was the CEO of Sam's Club. He also was the CEO of the America's Food Division for PepsiCo. Uh, is he the one that's going to make this happen, or do they need new talent in the uh, in the boardroom? Tim, it's uh, Lisa Bronham, which is uh, Bloomberg hot hot seat up up in Minnesota. Uh, Brian Brian Cornell's got. One more fiscal uh, to deliver. Uh, it looks look like he's going to bring uh, great new leadership to the company. But uh, with John Stump, who now left on the board, other board members asleep at the switch, and a Rip Van Winkle routine, uh, you need new leadership. And regrettably, it's almost like a McKinsey-like monarchy with the consultants half running the company and erroneous assumptions, erroneous conclusions. 
They need to invest in Target.com. They need to invest in self-distribution. Uh, and they need to invest in staffing in, instead of uh, cutting hours and, and having shelves that are too empty. Uh, that impair uh, same-store sales and, right. and operating income. You know, there was, there was a quote uh, in the Bloomberg story about Target's results from one analyst saying, we are stunned. We thought they were going the other way with higher margin stuff. I mean, this is sort of uh, what's at stake here. Target was always thought to be the higher quality version uh, and sort of tried to lure people who had a higher price point than, say, Walmart. But now Target appears to be putting Walmart in its as, as sort of like a competitor, uh, or at least on that level. Uh, is, this, is this strategy going to work for them? I, what they're doing isn't working, Lisa. It's, it's you, Pam, your great producer, Sam Langan. I've uh, discussed offline in the studio for, uh, for months. Uh, t uh, Target's gone the wrong way, and uh, also Target's probably the most uh, vulnerable company uh, to being organized by the UFCW, the Retail Clerks Union, uh, because even, even the workers that want to take corrective action on the out-of-stocks are disciplined and run off. We call it the Volkman rule uh, after Carl Volkman, who was fired for over overriding an inventory management system that wouldn't uh, order product for pr uh, product that was out of stock on the shelves. Right. And uh, the, uh, the company decided in favor of the consultants and the constructive uh, students who were highly rated in terms of productivity wound up getting sacked in the stores. And, uh, you know, for all, for all the problems that uh, you and Tim have presently pointed out, Lisa, in, in, in retail, uh, all Target's problems are, are self-inflicted, and Brian, Brian Cornell's well, uh, got, a, not, got not, a few quarters to fix. That's not totally fair, because we also have this sort of elephant in the room, right? We've got Amazon. How much is this just Amazon uh, creating a food fight among the uh, rest of the brick and mortars? Amazon creating a food fight, yes, Lisa, yet at, yet at the same time, Target.com, it outs, outs, uh, stupidly outsourced Target.com fulfillment to Amazon for nearly a decade. So Target.com's way underdeveloped. That area's growing quickly. But Target uh, got complacent in, in uh, basic apparel and fashion, especially for boys and girls and young women and men. And, and even uh, Target and Sears with Land's End have better basic fashion, as does Walmart for the first time in 50 years in many key categories in, in apparel. And uh, that's self-inflicted from Target, too. Opportunity or stay away, Bert Flickinger. For you're an investor. Old Chinese sign pin, uh, opportunity and danger. Uh, I'd bet on opportunity. Okay, and as well as with the bonds too for Target. Uh, definitely with the bonds. I would bet against the bonds uh, for uh, Bergdorf, uh, Neiman Marcus Group, or NMG. I would uh, bet on the bonds. For Target, activists are uh, going to come in. Uh, the consultants are going to go out. You'll have uh, better leadership, better business, uh, better bond prices, better equity prices. Yeah, I'm looking at the uh, at the Target 2.9% bonds due in 2022. Uh, they're a mere 102.3 cents on the dollar. Total discount. But uh, this is an A-rated uh, an a minus rated company. This is a company that has a steady uh, revenue stream. So that's why you're saying uh, they're going to be able to repay their debt. That's not the issue. Yeah, and this is also this is also a company that's uh, neutralized Christmas, Hanukkah, and Kwanzaa. No merchandising signs. No real good merchandising activity. They have more, as we've discussed, they've got more vacuum cleaners in the ads than Christmas and Hanukkah and Kwanzaa items during the key holiday selling periods. Uh, company's uh, clearly gone the wrong way, and 
with a lot of merchants uh, get, getting sacked and the consultants uh, making the new refresh decisions. Uh, that that's a uh, per, per, prescription uh, for a sick company getting sicker. But Lisa, as you and Tim said, it's a, fundamentally a strong company founded by the great Dayton family and. Uh, are still large shareholders in one way or the other in the honor of founder uh, George Straper Dayton and the late great uh, Bruce Bliss Dayton, who, who passed away within the last year. Uh, this this company will come back. I'd be much more worried about Nordstrom uh, than than I would be at Target. Uh, but Target Target will find. Well, we're going to have to talk about Nord. Nord- we're going to you know it's interesting you talk about Nordstrom because we want to get your views on it. We're going to have to uh, leave that for another time because uh, Nordstrom reported results recently and they exceeded analyst estimates. The stock moved higher. So I'm interested to hear what Bert uh, Flickinger of uh, Strategic Resource Group has to say about that. Another stellar bunch of months for U.S. high-yield bonds. Uh, Yields on the debt can no longer be considered high. They are low-yield bonds at 5.6%, the lowest uh, since 2014. Has this market gone too far? I want to bring in Henry Peabody, co-manager of the Eaton Vance Multi-Sector Bond Fund. He is the expert in all things fixed income. Henry, I'm so glad that you're here. Uh, Henry, what do you think? Do you think that the the U.S. high-yield bond market has gone too far? Probably has. Um, thinking about yields in the mid fives, thinking about default rates, um, expected real returns, it's not too compelling. F- fortunately, this is a market that active can do reasonably well in. Um, for us, we see opportunities in U.S. high yield, um, not the broad market, but certainly a few, um, but spreading. Like what? Well, you know, we're watching the retail sector fairly closely. Um, I can't say that we're uh, diving in but we're watching it fairly closely. So just to put this into perspective, a lot of people have been talking about a retailer recession, and we heard uh, Bert Flickinger uh, earlier on this program, an analyst uh, of the retail sector, saying he, he thinks Nordstrom's uh, could potentially be in, in real trouble and that the bonds could be in real trouble. Do you agree? No, not necessarily. Um, we're still very early on in this process. Um, it's going to take a little while for this to settle out. You think about energy and you know, post OPEC Thanksgiving of a couple of years ago, and it takes a while for this to shake out. So it's it's a slow moving process, and one that you need to um, follow closely, establish starter positions, uh, and watch as spreads evolve. But um, hard to make a distinct call on that credit per se today. Well, what would you be looking for? What are the characteristics? You know, I think you look for companies that have good online uh, presence, um, good uh, uh, footprints uh, in, in, in good regions with good product suites. But how about if you could just give me some numbers? Like what kind of numbers are you looking for? Are you looking for a ca- certain amount of cash flow? Or you, because, I mean, all every company I know looks for exactly the things you're describing. No one wants to be, you know, the, the old shoe. What, what are the, the financial characteristics that you deem a winner as opposed to someone you want to stay away from? Well, I think that's going to evolve. And I think what we look for in any position is a good liquidity runway. You need a company that can weather um, a challenging uh, environment. You need liquidity. Um, you need assets that are uh, uh, will it, that a company is willing to protect, good assets, um, potentially saleable assets If those, in the case of retail, if that's real estate. Um, so you need a, a, a company with a, um, a, a relative moat from a competitive standpoint, but that's all going to evolve over the next 
year or two as this situation does. You know, Henry, when a lot of people talk about rich valuations in the high-yield bond market, I have to think about the Carlisles and the Blackstones and the KKRs of the world that have been raising money for distressed debt funds uh, and have a record amount of dry powder on their books. Won't this prevent the high-yield bond market from falling too far? Or is is it bad to read too much into this sort of stash of cash? Well, you saw that with energy, right? You saw a great deal of capital being raised in the private equity space for energy, and there were fewer transactions because of that. Uh, you saw that valuations between the bid and the offer side never actually reached a clearing point. But by the same token, you did see a great deal of capital availability. So these companies were able to access the capital they need and come around the other side. So does private equity um, put a floor underneath it? At the margin, Yeah. Okay, so um, what's Eaton Vance's sort of base case scenario for 10-year treasuries for the end of the year? Well, it's important to point out that we don't have a top-down view form from an economist. So personally, then? I think you need to think about the 10-year note as a reflection of nominal growth. And so if you believe that Trump is going to achieve nominal growth in the 4% range, uh, then you need to think about a 4% a pressure but, towards a 4% 10-year Okay, rate. so if that happens, if there is pressure toward a 4% 10-year yield, what would that do to high-yield bonds? I th- well, you'd have to see, my, my guess is with the front end of the curve coming up at the same time, you would likely see negative convexity. You'd see this market extend. You'd see uh, high yield extend away from being priced to call and more to being priced to maturity. So you would see uh, duration extend, performance be fairly soft. Um, that would be in the context of better growth, which should see spreads contract. So, so in other words, losses, but they'd be tempered. Yeah, I think that's a fair, fair assessment. Um, in the uh, multi-sector bond income fund, right? Yep. Uh, what kind of cash position are you holding right now? We're about seven or eight percent today. Is that considered high? That's a little higher uh, than it has been, but we've been as high as twenty percent um, in mid fourteen. We were twenty percent um, when there was. Uh, a, are you looking for reasons to get into cash right now, or are you going after? I noticed you got Australian, Queensland sure. government bonds. You got bonds from Brazil, Canada, and you do have a bunch of uh, energy debt in there as well. Sure, we have. We still have some um, legacy energy and materials positions that are doing very well, but we've been looking more towards the EM side. Over the past handful of months, um, we think that Brazil. Uh, we've owned Brazil for a while, and that was a good performer for us last year. But there's been some good corporate issuance recently that um, you know we think offers a, a good deal of return over the next handful of years. We think that dollar strength is probably reaching a, 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 a high. Um, you hope so. If that's going to get paid in Canadian dollars, I was sure. looking today, 132 against the loony, the dollar strengthening. Yeah, the dollar has been strong, but our non-dollar positions have actually benefited us this year. Um, dollar has rolled over against most major currencies since the beginning of the year. We had that rally post-election and a fade since then. All right. I want to thank you very much for coming in and spending time with us. Henry Peabody is co-manager of the Eaton Vance Multi-Sector Bond Fund.
P&L is brought to you by Proper Cloth, a leader in men's custom shirts. At propercloth.com, ordering custom shirts has never been easier. Create your custom shirt size by answering 10 easy questions. Select from over 500 fabrics to suit your personal taste. Shirts start from $85 and are delivered in just two weeks. With Proper Cloth's perfect fit guarantee, remakes are completely free and expert staff are standing by to help. For premium quality, perfect fitting shirts, visit propercloth.com. Custom shirts made smarter. There was a great scoop that came out overnight by Bloomberg News' Laura Keller, uh, along with a couple of her colleagues, talking about how CLSA, the brokerage which is owned by China Citic Securities, dismissed 90 U.S.-based employees on Monday. This is basically them closing their U.S. equity research team. And for more, I want to bring in Laura, who joins us now in our Bloomberg 1130 studio. Uh, Laura, first of all, just sort of give us a sense. How long has CLSA been in the business of U.S. equity research and how big of a departure is this for them? Right. So, Lisa, they've been here since about 2009. So it's definitely some franchise that's been here for a while. What is that, eight years? Um, And they're, I mean, they're not small, but they're not one of our huge sort of bulge brackets, of course. So they had about, um, I guess it would be around 160 people in the U.S. working. some very well-known ones. Yes, very well-known. Mike Mayo is really sort of their star guy. Um, they also had um, some tech analysts as well, Avi Silver and McGuire, we mentioned in our story. And Mike Mayo, of course, being this very uh, prominent, very outspoken bank analyst. Today, he's at the JP Morgan conference. He, he actually called himself a free agent um, since he's not working at CLSA anymore. And he was dismissed along with 90 others. Um, as you mentioned, uh, late in the day, we understand called into a meeting around 4.15 after market close and let let known that they would be no longer working there. Um, and we have this image as well uh, in our story of, of Mike Mayo walking home with this box um, of things, you know, presumably from his, his desk in his office there. Can you explain why did CLSA decide to do this? So, I mean, CLSA has had a lot of trouble with this um, U.S. business, but also with their equities brokerage. I mean, they were bought um, by a Chinese firm, Citic Securities, in 2013. It goes all the way back to Credit Lyonnais, right? Yes. Um, they bought it from that French bank. Um, so they actually had tried to sell, um, Citic had tried to sell these guys, and they weren't, I guess, presumably able to find a buyer. So they've had some trouble since back then. You know, we had reported um, one of our Asian colleagues, I think it was Kathy Chan, in um, September reported that the bank actually pulled this sort of it's a very unusual thing where they asked people to voluntarily take unpaid vacations of up to 10 days. And that's they were just trying to save money. And this is something that they have done three other times when they've gotten in trouble. But I mean, that's a very unusual measure um, and really not something you do unless you're having a lot of issues on the revenue side and, and even on the cost side. Well, but CLSA, this might be uh, an idiosyncratic issue, but it does sort of come at a time when on a broader level, uh, research firms across, or research units, I should say, across Wall Street have been cut significantly. And part of this has to do with new rules uh, that are going to go into effect the the 3rd of January in 2018 uh, that require banks to charge investment firms for any research they provide them. I mean, does this play into CLSA's decision at all? 
Um, I don't think, Lisa, from according to the CEO, the um, Jonathan Sloan, um, Kathy Chan had talked with him, and he said, no, this is not a result of those rules, those MIFID rules that you were talking about. Um, this has nothing to do with those. What he said was that they want to really just you know, have execution-only framework in the U.S., that's what he said, um, and, and really focus on those parts of the business. Nothing to do with these new rules. Although I will say, I mean, just on a broader level, the competition for research has been amped up in a pretty dramatic way uh, with the worth of it being called into question. There was a Financial Times article uh, that came out over the weekend talking about how different firms are bandying about what the cost scheme will be for this type of research with some banks proposing $10,000, a phone call for uh, with uh, for for a, a chance to talk with their senior analysts um, and and basically investment firms saying no way so <laughs> that's right. definitely going to well, be part it's of a it. Com- it's a huge departure from every which way that they normally have conducted business. I mean, normally you have a big investor who can just call his his you know his sales rep, yes, but also his equity analyst and talk about ideas. You know, if he's, I've even heard too, you know, if you're a debt investor, but you want to talk a little bit on equities, you call up your your debt representative, maybe the analyst on that side, and, and he can bring in the conversation for you, a sell side person on the equity side. So to charge for that conversation, I mean, I, I'm just not sure what kind of mechanism you start to get into. And I mean, it's almost like billable hours for lawyers or something. Certainly seems that way. Thank you very much, uh, Laura Keller, financial reporter for Bloomberg. You'll be keeping us up to date on on this story and, of course, uh, the ongoing changes to uh, equity research. Before I buy any mobile device, I check in with one person, John Butler. He's our senior telecom services and equipment analyst for Bloomberg Intelligence. He provides unique and real-time research for the uh, telecoms industry, and he's here in the studio joining us now. Thanks very much How for being you, here, Pam? John. Great to be well, He has an great. array of different phones in front of him. He's just like ceaselessly <laughs> Well, he wishes. He wishes. He's, you know, not he, as many he, as Pim, actually. Right. Well, <laughs> I'm not going to go there. Let's not, let's not talk about those problems. Um, uh, I want you to talk about Mobile World Congress taking place in, in Barcelona. You say it's a zoo. You go to CES, con, a consumer electronics show in Las Vegas. Uh, I was reading the reports from uh, Barcelona, and I thought that Nokia was the one that grabbed the headlines for something that I frankly did not expect. They really did. They're not even making handsets anymore. They actually have a partnership with uh, HMD, which is a, uh, a, a a longtime partner of theirs, and they're manufacturing the phone and licensing the brand. And they came out with the old candy bar. The, the 3310 has been updated, uh, complete with the popular game Snake, if you remember that one from... Back in 2000 is when that phone do, was originally launched. Scary. Yes, and it sold over 125 million units, which back then was really a big deal. So it was a huge hit. Everyone who had a, had wireless service at that point at least considered buying one if they didn't own one. So the Nokia 3310 is back. It's updated. It's got a color screen. Uh, but it's it really. Why is it grabbing I, the attention? Why I, do you think? I, I don't care. I think people are, you know, if you look at even TV these days, a lot of, there's a lot of retro stuff showing up, and I think it's sort of playing into that trend. But I, for Nokia, I really think it's about reminding people that the brand is back. So 
they launched at a low price point. At a low price point. I mean, this is not a a $500 smartphone. No, I I actually, I don't know what the price is. They haven't released it, but I mean, they said it's going to be something under like $79. Yeah, it'll be be two digits, not three. I'm I'm certain of that. Um, And they launched the Nokia 3, 5, and 6 along with it, which are very moderately priced smartphones. And I think that's where they should play. The brand is very popular, for example, in India. It's a huge brand there. So coming out with a reminder of, hey, we're back, uh, you know, sort of welling up those warm memories of the Nokia brand uh, with the 3310 certainly back helps. in 2000. <laughs> um, well, let's talk a little bit about Apple because they're going to be having uh, their investor uh, meeting. And yep. we just found out about Warren Buffett's newfound love of Apple and his newfound share uh, or ownership of Apple has increased. Do you expect that to be uh, something that Apple is, talk- is asked about or even volunteers? You know, they may... Talk about the fact that 2017 really is a big year for Apple. It's an anniversary year for the iPhone. Uh, what tends to spark upgrades in the in smartphones in general is something really an innovative new feature. So we saw it with the iPhone 6, for example, the first large screen iPhone. And that generated what can best be described as sort of a sales super cycle. And I think the hope is building that this year we're going to see a move to a brighter screen technology called OLED. And we're going to see true waterproofing uh, with the iPhone and a better camera on the front and the back. So there's a lot that's being talked about. Uh, They have room to innovate. And, um, you know, I, I think it could really be a big year for them. So. Fingers crossed, and I think that'll come up in the shareholders meeting. Yeah, I think they're going to figure out how to get those earbuds made in scale so that people can actually listen to the phone without having to use an adapter because they got rid of the, uh, you know, the imp, the sound output, uh, the, the, the earphone jack. Yeah. That actually, of all decisions they've made over the years, that one really left That's me a head scratching scratcher, my right? head. Yeah. yeah. I don't get it. And, um, you know, the move to wireless technology and headphones and other accessories is definitely a trend that's in place, but it's not really mature enough at this point, in my mind, to have done away with the earphone jack. But it is gone on the iPhone 7. And, uh, you know, my hope is that they come out with lower cost alternatives than those wireless earbuds, which are 150 a pair. What, what I was uh, very excited about hearing is that Apple may cut the charging cord completely with the iPhone 8. That's the rumor sort of circulating right now, right? Yeah, so, yeah there are. It's better than the earbuds. I mean, wireless technology, uh, charging right, technology, yeah, yeah. Is, it, it's well, out no, there. I mean, you Look, know, these new things, you know, they, they, they always come with with some downside. Just quickly, John, I just went back, got to go back to this Nokia thing because I found out it's about 52 bucks for uh, the uh, Nokia 3310. Now, it's 22 hours talk time, a month long on standby, available in warm red, yellow, gloss finish, dark blue, and gray, both with matte finish. And it supports 2.5G network technology, which is ancient technology. But my point is, how many people you think are going to buy this as a fashion accessory? I mean, this is almost disposable at 52 bucks. Yeah, I actually- They're going global with it. That's a good question, but I think they're really aiming for emerging markets, to be honest. Yeah, India. Well, HMD, global, right? Yep.
Thanks very we'll, much. We'll be we'll be we'll be keeping tabs on uh, on Pim's budding career as a an advocate for uh, the Nokia phones. Uh, John <laughs> Butler, thank you so much for joining us. Always a pleasure. Senior telecom services and equipment analyst, uh, talking about Apple's annual shareholder meeting and also uh, the Mobile World Congress with Nokia's new phone. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg PL podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at iTunes, SoundCloud, or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Pim Fox. I'm out there on Twitter at Lisa Abramowitz1. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide on Bloomberg Radio. P&L is brought to you by Proper Cloth, a leader in men's custom shirts. With proprietary smart size technology and top-rated customer service, ordering a custom shirt has never been easier. Visit propercloth.com to order your first custom shirt today.